listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I'm so glad that you've chosen to listen in today. We are in the midst of a series on calling. Staying true to your calling is what I've titled this series, and we are focusing on being faithful to the course God has called us to, and we're looking at some different aspects related to calling. In our first episode, we focus on being bold in the person God has called us to be in the position he's called us to, just proclaiming that, being bold in that, walking in that. And last week, I drew some lessons from Paul and talked about really what it means to answer your call in biblical terms, what a calling in biblical terms looks like. And Paul gives us a blueprint for that in Galatians. So I focused on that last week. Check out those episodes if you miss them. What I want to focus on for this particular episode is I want to just focus on the reality that when we answer our call, when we're walking in the place God has for us, we do not do so without opposition and without um, difficulty. And that can easily discourage us, get us off track. And so I want to look at some common doubts that we may have, some fears that we may have that when we're walking with calling, or maybe we're just starting out and we're already just being just attacked on every side by just discouragement. And we're thinking, I, can't, I just can't do what God has asked me to do. Wherever we find ourselves or we're attempting to complete what he has asked us to do and we're getting bogged down because of the difficulty or because of things that people are saying or whatever that may look like. And so I want to just look at some some fears that we may have, some doubts about where we are and look at a passage in scripture that will provide some encouragement, some motivation to help us complete whatever God has called us to. To start this episode out, I want to just mention a line that I saw the other day when I was reading in scripture that really stood out to me. And it was actually an intro to the book of Nehemiah. And the line that really stood out to me was this, because of stiff opposition, the people must work with weapons in one hand, tools in the other. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, in the book of Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the Persian king. He goes back and helps his fellow Jews. They are rebuilding the city of Jerusalem that has been completely destroyed. Um, if you remember in this part of the history, um, Judah has been exiled. Jews have, uh, they were exiled to Babylon. They were allowed to go back to their city after 70 years, go back to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem was in ruins. The walls had been burned down. The temple had been destroyed. So they had to rebuild the temple and the walls. And so Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He helps out his fellow Jews rebuild this wall. But when they go back to do so, that not only do they have the enormous task of building the this wall, but they are faced with opposition. There are people that do not like the fact and are threatened by the fact that the Jews are rebuilding this wall 
And so they start all kinds of insinuations. They try to attack the Jews and get them to stop what they're doing. And so this line, because of stiff opposition, the people, the Jews, talking about the Jews, must work with weapons in one hand, tools in the other, is actually referring to an actual line of scripture that you'll see in chapter four. And I just want to read it to you. It says, those who carried materials did their work with one did their work with one hand and held a weapon on the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. And it's just talking about this idea that they had this job of building, but they also had to defend what they were doing. And they they got creative with this. They had some people working, some people on the lookout defending the people working. But even, you know, it says here, even the people working, they had a weapon in one hand. I mean, it was just this idea of they had this work to do that was arduous and exhausting in and of itself, but then they also had attacks that they had to defend themselves against. And so it was kind of this double job. And you can imagine just how exhausting that would have been. And it would have been easier for them to complete the work if they hadn't had the opposition. But as I was reading this, I really just thought about how, you know, when we answer God's call for our lives, how similar this is for us, because when we attempt to complete whatever assignment God has given us, it will not be without opposition from others, attacks from the enemy to get us to give up on whatever God has asked us to accomplish. And often these attacks, you know, the enemy works in a lot of different ways. Often these attacks will be through the comments or actions of other people um, who may just try to, um, you know, come against us in whatever way, discourage us. But often these attacks will also just be in the form of our own thoughts that the enemy will try to insert thoughts saying things like, you know, you're, you didn't, are you sure God really asked you to do this? You're not really capable of doing this. How are you going to accomplish this? You don't even have the resources you need. There's no way that this is going to happen. You know, just thoughts to discourage us. Yet, you know, if we look at the Jews and we look at the history, they actually did rebuild the temple and the walls in the midst of the opposition. And we too, when we stay connected to God, will complete what he has asked us to complete. Yet there is this idea, unfortunately, that we're going to have to fight and we're going to have to fight against the arrows of the enemy. We're going to have to fight, you know, to maintain our position against those that come against us and just be committed to the call he has given us. And there are going to be fears and, and, and things that we will struggle with that we will have to combat with God's truth. So I want to look at some, some doubts that we may have that derail us. And I also want to look at a model of faithfulness and service that we can emulate. And I want to look at Luke 2, 36 through 38. We're going to kind of transition. I've been talking about Nehemiah, but the passage I want to focus on today is actually in Luke and it's of Anna, who is a, a prophetess. And she served as a witness of Christ as the Messiah. She um, was present when he was just an infant and his parents brought him into the temple. She saw his parents. She saw them holding Jesus. She went over and this is her account. There was a, also a prophet, Anna, 
the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them, talking about Jesus and his parents. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So I want to just kind of pick apart these lines and talk about Anna, a woman who lived an incredibly effective life. And though she didn't really seek out attention or applause, she still encountered Jesus in a huge way. And this passage tells us a lot about serving Jesus with whatever we have and not being derailed by fear or doubt about our own ability to be used. So the first point I want to draw from this passage in, in um, scripture in Luke is that the idea that God can use us. The I think one of the, the major fears that we'll have when we're attempting to answer God's call and really continue on in service to him is we will continually battle with the idea the fear that God can't really use us, that we're not, you know, um, talented or um, skilled enough to be used. Whatever it is, we will deal with just a fear about our own ability while we're in the process of answering his call and also sometimes just in stepping out and getting that started. Years ago, I remember reading a story and I think it was in a Priscilla Shire study but in the study that I read, there was this story about a master gardener and he was, he had these beautiful gardens, but what many people didn't, uh, would not have known in looking at his gardens is where he actually got the plants for his gardens. He actually got them from the trash heap that there, I think it was maybe a, I don't know if it was just one business, but a hardware store of some kind, some kind of nursery that sold plants and whatever they were not able to, you know, whatever plants weren't flourishing, didn't look like they were going to bloom into, um, plants that people would actually buy, they would just toss those out. And he requested, he asked for those flowers that were the plants that were on the trash heap. And with his knowledge and skill of, um, you know, um, of gardening, um, he was able to coax these plants back to life and he grew these beautiful gardens and the plants he used were from the trash heap. And the example in the study, the, the story was just used to illustrate the point that God uses the broken and imperfect. And we can feel sometimes like we're just a discarded plant on a trash heap because of what people have said about us, because of hard circumstances, um, because of, inadequacies we perceive or that we have, um, ways that we failed. We can just feel like I can't be used Lord, or we can have dark places in our past that we can think, you know what, Lord, there's no way that you could use this or people are going to be, um, you know, people don't want such a broken person. Um, as an example, they want someone more, much, you know, more perfect. And, just this idea of when we look at Anna in this story, again, she doesn't have a imperfect past as far as um, a dark story or things that um, some kind of sinful past. I mean, she has an impeccable past as far as, 
she was very honorable in, you know, it talks about that she was married and then she was a widow. But the thing about Anna that we need to realize is that a widow in Jewish society had literally, literally no status at all. Women were not viewed as even reliable enough to be witnesses in a courtroom. Men really had all the control and so a woman's status was really through her husband or if her husband died then she would be able to have some say through her male sons if she had any but for somebody who didn't have children like this woman um who hadn't remarried this would be someone who would really have no say no no um clout in her society and yet she was used by Jesus to be a witness um, to others about, you know, right after he was born, is she was used as a witness to others. And what that really tells us is that even if we feel ordinary, we feel like we can't really offer much, or we have, you know, maybe some dark places in our life, those are the very places God can use as a platform for what we talk about in our ministry and God can really use anything in our lives. Um, in our church, we have a marriage ministry called re-engage and the couple that leads it, my husband and I've gone through the curriculum. It's, it's, um, they use a book and it, you know, it's just meant to strengthen marriage and help those, you know, in marriage and have stronger marriages and work on whatever issues you're having on in your marriage. But the couple that leads it, the very first day that you go to re-engage, you go to what they call newcomers group and you watch the um, people they're leading the ministry, their testimony. And they, the reason they help other people, their marriage is because they went through a season in their marriage. That was very difficult. The husband was struggling with a pornography addiction and ended up having an affair and they had to work through their problems and he had to confess his addiction, his affair. They had to find healing and forgiveness and God led them to a place of restoration in the marriage. And now they help other people who are struggling. But the fact that they have, you know, have been through some really dark places, it really encourages you when you go to just be open about the dark places in your marriage and say, okay, maybe I'm struggling here. I really need some help. And rather than feel like you have to hide because maybe other people aren't having the same problems, it just encourages you to, to really share your own struggles. And so similarly is that, you know, the enemy really likes to come and say, you know, you really can't be used because you keep on having this, you keep on falling back into this pattern of sin, or you really can't be used because you have that thing that ha that happened in your past or you, you're just a nobody. What could God really do with you? You're not as talented as this other person. So he likes to sling those things in our, those thoughts in our direction. But when we truly look at, um, the people God uses, we notice that it's more about what he can do through people than our own ability. The second point I want to draw from this passage on Anna is that often we, will have doubts about how we're supposed to make happen what God has called us to. We can be overwhelmed by the assignment and we could, you know, fear that Lord, I, there's just no way I can make this happen. I'm not, 
skilled enough to make this happen. I don't have the resources. How is this going to happen? And so what we see with Anna is that Anna, in this story, she gave her life to God. She was a widow. She could have easily just gotten embittered after her husband died. She could have, you know, or she could have simply just focused on the things that she wanted to focus on, but she gave her life over to God. It said that she was in the temple night and day, fasting and praying. Now, this isn't to say that we have to be at church every single day and that we're only going to be used by God if we literally live in church. It's not saying that. What it's really promoting is a life of faithfulness um, to God, of being devoted to God. And so that may not look quite the same in every life. We all have, you know, differences. One person may be a stay-at-home mom and have, you know, another person may have a career outside the home. Uh, You know, some of us may actually work in a ministry for a church, while others of us may be called to a ministry that isn't necessarily run by a church. So it can look very different, but the point is that Anna was very devoted to God and she just was faithfully showing up, quietly working um, every single day. And some scholars say she actually lived in the temple and maybe did some small tasks there like lighting lamps. Some say that she was just a constant in the services. Whatever the case, She was faithful in her service day after day. And all of a sudden, one day she looked up and there was Jesus in bodily form in the temple. And she must have known in that moment what God wanted to accomplish through her. So she looked up and she saw him. And then it was at that point after that, that she went out and began telling other people about what she had seen. She went around Jerusalem. And so it's just this idea of, We don't have to, when God calls us to a specific place, we don't have to generate the plan. We just have to be faithful in the small things that he gives us to do, you know, step by step, because we won't know the whole plan to begin with, but it's just in those small steps that it begins to become more clear how we're going to accomplish what he has said and you know, he gives us the vision as we continue to walk in faithfulness to whatever it is. I mean, Anna had no idea. Um, We aren't given any indication that she had any idea that she was going to encounter the Messiah in bodily form that day. She didn't necessarily know that in advance, but it, you know, it was just her faithfully serving and then she encountered him and then she was able to go out and share with others. When... I started, um, you know, before I started blogging and doing what I do now with podcasting and blogging, I was a high school English teacher and trust me, I had no idea that I would ever be really doing anything different. I had no idea that I would really step away from the career. But when I started to get the sense that God wanted me to do something different, it did not all come at once as far as the steps or what he wanted me to do. In fact, when I first got the idea that he wanted me to go in a different direction, I was sitting in a church service. The pastor was giving a sermon and all he said during the sermon was something about going down a different path. And something just took hold of me when he was speaking. And I just got this little thought that bubbled up that 
God wants you to go down a different path. And I thought, no, I'm no, that was just a line in the sermon. That wasn't for me. But I just, I really felt that sense when I was sitting there, God wants, you know, God's got something different for you and he wants you to step away from teaching. And I really, you know, I've had that sense during the sermon, but when I stepped away from the service, I thought, no, that wasn't, that wasn't anything. He's not really wanting me to do that. I must've just imagined that. But then confirmation of that same idea began to come in different ways throughout the next few weeks and months. And I realized, oh yes, God is really asking me to step away. I had no idea why, but originally when I stepped away from teaching, when I got some prophetic words and things after that initial sense that I needed to go, I knew God was calling me down a path. He had always, I knew there was a calling of being used in music on my life. And so I stepped away for that as I realized, okay, God is really wanting me to walk into that. But then as I pursued that course, I began to understand that, yes, God was going to use me in music, but there was something else God wanted me to do as well. And I, you know, he asked me to step away from the worship team I was on. Um, I began to just get some nudges in certain directions to contact some people from my past. I went through, uh, I kind of felt led to go through a hope ministry program at my church, which was a several month long program where you learn how to minister to others, um, help people in areas of depression and grief and, and loss, and also just learn about identity in Christ and things like that. And it was through those steps of going back to some people, there were just some things that he told me to do that I really didn't understand. I did not know where he was leading me. I had no idea. Um, but there were some, just some odd, what I felt were really odd things that he wanted me to do to go back and make some amends to some people. Um, I went through this odd process of going back to my job of some people, um, in my immediate realm where God really revealed to me that, um, you know, he wanted me to apologize because I hadn't been a Christian model. Um, I had been, I didn't know at the time, but I'd been really basing my identity on my job. I was um, basing it on others' reactions to me. And so I went back and apologized to my job. I said, you know, I was a Christian at the time. I wasn't living out a Christian example. I was very much getting my identity from being a young, you know, I was buying into the world's idea that your worth as a woman comes from your appearance. I was very into how I dressed and got a lot of, of my sense of worth from reactions of others and particularly male reactions. So, you know, I was married, but I thought it was okay to just have a lot of friendships with males on the side. And I was, you know, even as a teacher, I got a lot of attention from, from even the males in my classes. And this never resulted in an inappropriate relationship. I mean, I thought I was very careful in, in maintaining professional boundaries, but God really had me go back and, and, and even reach out to this classes that I could as a high school teacher and say, you know what? I was a Christian and didn't act like it. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I wasn't a good example. And I think I crossed the line as far as encouraging attention because it made me feel good about myself. And that was very difficult for me to do and tell my administration that. And of course, you know, they didn't really understand where I was coming from, but you know, it didn't result in any, again, there was nothing that had happened that, um, 
would result in any kind of legal action or anything like that. Um, but it was just a statement of God bring me to a place of realizing I had placed my identity in the wrong things. And so it was going back and doing those things. Also some people from my past, you can read my story on my blog if you're interested in my testimony a little more in detail. But it was in going back to some people and having conversations that I realized that I God gave me this phrase in this process of doing what I was doing. And it was addiction to approval. And, and he basically told me that, you know, I was very much had built my identity or sense of worth on how I perform my job on what other people thought of me. And he wanted to, to break that. And it was in that process of doing that, going through ministry training where he revealed to me what my struggle was and how he wanted to heal me of that so that I could tell other people who were struggling with the same thing. And so I talk about a variety of things on, on this podcast and the blog, but really the reason I started it and then, you know, he, he kind of nudged me to start the, the website I have, but I started it to really just share the lessons that he was helping teach me that identity is found in Christ, that we have worth because of who he has made us to be and not because of anything we do or because of what other people think of us. And that's just the message. But it started, you know, just again, just a few little breadcrumbs. And I, you know, just kind of was following them along and didn't know where it was going. And that's how it is when God calls us. We don't always know exactly the, the huge vision, but we find that out as we continue to follow him. A third fear that we often have in answering the call of God is just a fear about results. Like, God, what if this doesn't work? What if I don't have any results? Like, what if nothing happens? What if I just look like a fool in front of other people? And that's, that's legitimate. And God will really test us because we may have to just leave behind. Like I mentioned, leaving behind teaching was my comfort zone. Like I had a paycheck coming in. I had, you know, retirement, I had healthcare and yes, my husband does have a job, but our income was slashed in half when I left. And we've added, you know, we had one, one child, one on the way when I left teaching, we now have three kids and we're living off of less than what we're living on when we had one kid, you know, years ago. And we've, we've had to make it work. It's been very challenging. It, it was, it was leaving behind the comfort of and security of what I knew. Um, but if, if a one, you know, fear we'll have is, you know, what if nothing happens? What if, what if we don't have any results or we just may have anxiety about, what if I step out in this way and people don't respond in, in, in the way I want them to, or they think I'm crazy or what, whatever it is. But just like we don't have to come up with a plan and God reveals that to us as we walk in our calling, we don't have to come up with the results either. I want you to notice in the passage that Anna, after she saw the Messiah, after she saw Jesus in the temple, it says that she went around to those who were awaiting the redemption of Israel. That tells us in, in verse 38, if you look at this same passage in the word translation, it puts it like this. She spoke about Jesus to all who were waiting for Jerusalem to be set free. So just as Anna um, was you know, moved by seeing the Messiah in the temple, we don't even know what that did for her. There were other people needing the same freedom and healing and were awaiting that message. They were waiting for that message. And so Anna had to exert her own effort in going around and telling people 
about the Messiah, but they were already prepared to hear the message because God had prepared them. And so that's what we have to remember is that, you know, we don't have to take that on ourselves. If God is nudging us in a particular direction to go to a specific people group or to tell them something specific is he's already prepared their hearts. And sometimes they do not accept what we're saying initially. And we don't know why God would have us to say what, what he had to say or do because they may not look like they're accepting what we're offering, but he has a plan for it. And it may be that that they don't in the moment look like they're accepting it, but then later that's just a seed that was planted that later they do come to accept Jesus or whatever it is. But what we have to know is that it's God who does the work in the people that are listening to us and that we're simply responsible for doing the step that he's given us, which is saying whatever it is that he wants us to say or completing whatever assignment he has given us. So often, you know, we can, in our zeal to answer the call, we can, we can, you know, strive and feel like it's our responsibility to come up with some specific outcome or results. But a lot of times it doesn't look like exactly what we thought we would, or we don't have the results that we thought were going to be there, but it's God's domain. He comes up, he, um, he generates results. We are simply to be obedient to him. I can't tell you how many times, and maybe you've had a similar experience. I've walked into a service at church and my jaw has just dropped open when the pastor started to talk because it was almost like he crawled inside my head and knew my exact thoughts that week. Like I could have been having a specific struggle and all of a sudden the pastor starts talking about, and I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, how did he know? Well, he knew because he was seeking God that, you know, in the weeks before that, and he was asking God, you know, what should I say here? And God gave him the message to speak that he knew not only me, but the other people in the service would need to hear. I was even exercising this week and I just, this thought popped in my mind that I needed to listen to a message that I had missed um, a few weeks back. I had missed one of the sermons um, because we had been gone that particular week. And so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to listen to that. And I just kind of on a whim popped it in when I was doing aerobics and began listening to it. And it was literally the exact thing I needed for that day. And I can't tell you how many times that has happened. And that's God, right? I mean, the pastor doesn't have to stress himself out thinking, okay, what do these people need to hear? And what should I preach on? Well, if he's connecting himself with God and he's praying and he's, he's opening himself up and being willing to just be a vessel, God's going to give him the message. And similarly, when we just open ourselves up, whatever gifts we have, God is going to use that to minister to others. And we don't have to know everything going on with them. God's just going to position us to minister to them in the way that they need. He's going to work through us when we just open ourselves up and say, okay, God, I'm willing, send me. I adapted this entire message and article that you can check out on BeulahGirl.com from an article I actually wrote two years ago. And it's funny to me because if I look back at it now, I don't, you know, when you're actually going through whatever you're going through, you don't always see, you know, how you've grown or you don't always see how your perspective has changed. But 
in my original draft of this, I really just focused on and wrote it because of my own fears that I was having and wrote about my own journey. But even in the place I'm in now, it's just amazing for me to look back and say, okay, wow, I'm in such a different place right now. I just have a different perspective of things. And it's encouraging because God, he does bring us, he, he grows us along in the process and he will just create in us, um, you know, a vision. He'll fill in the details if we're just willing to simply follow him. So we may be plagued with all these insecurities, these doubts, how is this going to happen? How will we know what to say? How will we accomplish this? How will we get the resources we need? But we can lay all those worries down. He will direct us and help to fill in those gaps when we simply follow him. In The Blessings of Brokenness by Charles Stanley, he says this, God says the same things to us anytime he calls us to supernatural ministry. He says, I'm the one who will do it. I will accomplish the task. You do what I tell you to do and it, and I will cause it to come to pass. And one of these Charles Stanley, which by the way, that book is not a, a manual on ministry or calling. It's a book about those places where tough stuff happens in your life. And, you know, just surrendering to God in those places rather than running. But there's so many nuggets of truth also that we can glean about calling in that book. If you've never read it, I would say pick it up. It's it's just this tiny book, but it's got so much packed in it. But it's just this idea of, okay, if you want to know the way, surrender yourself to him. You don't have to know the, exact, the entire plan. You don't have to know where you're exactly going. If you're following God, he's going to lead you to where you need to, to be. And he's going to accomplish in you what needs to be accomplished. Um, one of the things Charles Stanley also says is he just says, when we do our part, God does the part that only God can do. I want to just close by telling a story. Um, our church has, you know, ministry efforts in a couple different countries, but one particular effort that they have is in Burkina Faso, which is a country, tiny little country. I've never been there in Africa. And they got involved there through just kind of a series of conversations and things. Our pastor just was feeling this burden to get involved in Africa in some way. And again, if you really think about it, Africa, like where do you even start? There's such a huge need in so many places. Where do you begin? And so he was just filling this burden and he just didn't know what exactly that looked like. And so I don't know all the particulars of the story, but, you know, he happened to have this conversation with his missionary friend and he happened to have this conversation with this, this person. And it was just this series of, some could say, conversations that happened by coincidence, but it wasn't, it was orchestrated by God. It just as he was, had a willingness to be, you know, faithful and obey. It was, he, God orchestrated these, you know, contacts. They were able to talk to some people there and find out the need, which was water. You know, people can't really accept the gospel there because the need, they don't have fresh water. They have babies that are dying. And so they were able to find out that they could, you know, reach out the best way by digging wells, providing fresh water, and then the people could be in a place to accept and hear the gospel. And so now there's some churches being built and they've, you know, done some other things there. 
but it's just this idea of, you know, my pastor at any point could have easily been like, wow, this is too overwhelming. I don't know what to do here. Africa. No, God, this is just too much. But he just had a willingness to say, okay, we're needed in Africa. Okay. Where God? And it's not, you know, it's, it's not meeting every need in Africa. It's this one focused place, but that's how God works. I mean, he calls us to one or two, three, four specific assignments. And that's, you know, any, that's how he works. And so this is just meant to encourage you that you may feel overwhelmed by where God is calling you or the next step in your journey. Like it's just, you're not sure what it should be. And it's just an encouragement that maybe all you know to do today is email someone, or maybe you just felt this nudge. There's a cashier that you've become friends with that you'd like to invite to church or you don't know the next step, or maybe there's somebody who could be a mentor to you that you've just kind of felt like, Hey, maybe I should have a conversation with them, you know, and maybe that's your next step. And so sometimes we get bogged down and think, well, how do we accomplish this big thing? But we just need to do the step that's right in front of us. And so that's my encouragement to you. And when fears, when doubts come, we can just combat those with the truth that God is going to equip you for whatever he has called you to. And that, it happens in small steps of obedience, one after another, after another. And it doesn't happen all just magically. Um, you get the calling and the next day it's, it's happened. I mean, there's a process that occurs. So just to keep that in mind, I want to just end in prayer. Stay tuned for next week as we wrap up this series. And be sure to jump on BeulahGirl.com if you'd like to leave a comment. Um or, you know, just share where you are in your journey. Dear Lord, I just thank you for the people listening. I don't know where they are in, in their journey, but you do. I thank you for their faithfulness in answering the call. If they've already answered it and they're on their way, Lord, help them to know what that next step is. If they're worried about resources, if they're worried about ability level, Lord, help to put those fears at rest. Help them to recognize the lies of the enemy. Help them to get past whatever difficulties and obstacles are holding them back at this moment, preventing them from completing whatever it is that you've called them to complete. If they haven't even started yet, Lord, give them the courage to take the first step, to follow you. If it means leaving behind a secure position, a place of comfort for them, help them to just take the leap and to run into whatever it is that you've asked them to just with an open heart and not even think about what they're leaving behind, knowing that what you have for them in the future is so much better. I thank you, Lord, that you help us along in every step of the process, that you prepare in advance that people's hearts are going to hear our message, that you prepare us along the way, that you change us even as you change the people that we minister to. Thank you, Lord, that you even choose to use us. You don't need us, but you choose to use us because you want to. So help us ever be mindful of the fact that it's you, that you are the one that does the work through us. And we simply have to be faithful and surrender to whatever it is you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.